0: back to 1st Corinthians chapter 7 we will preach the message that we had planned on preaching last week but those of you who are here we know got a little sidetracked but that's a, a good thing sometimes to stop and to say let's deal a little bit more closely with this subject it's one that has caused a great harm, that is the idea of divorce and, and remarriage and all that, that is, uh divorce, of course, in itself causes great destruction, and then the church sometimes doesn't help things when we don't deal with things biblically, so we tried to uh, show some of these things last week, we dealt with what it meant to abandon a marriage, we saw that it's a serious situation in which it takes much prayer and investigation. But just because it is a difficult subject, it is difficult to do, believe me, nobody likes to counsel, counsel, counsel married couples that are having issues. It's, it's no fun, but it's necessary. If we care about people, people have problems and they come to you for help, we gladly give it, but often in those situations it is just unpleasant as we can expect. We understand that. But love is something that we must do, cause us to do that. And so we do. Um, but we deal with this. We and we, we, we made it very clear, that at least as far as I'm concerned, as far as Jeff is concerned, that there are times where abandonment doesn't always look the same way. just because somebody has left the marriage, but that abandonment in marriage can mean other things. And if you're interested in what we said, go back and listen to it, I'm not going to rehash all that, but one point I wanted to make is that nothing said last week should be taken that one can come up with any excuse to pursue divorce. Divorce, as a rule, is always uh, because somebody has sinned in some way, right? So it's never a good thing, even though sometimes it is a necessary thing. The best option for a saint, as well as society at large, is that we have loving, stable marriages, and that's always the goal. Having said that, if you think that uh, you can divorce and you're a member of this church and you can divorce for reasons that are deemed unbiblical, there will be discipline. There will be consequences to that. We uh, do not and will not play fast and loose with divorce just because the world has gone divorce crazy. And let's face it, uh, there the world... And, and Christians too, at least supposedly Christians, have, uh, in, in many cases, abandoned marriage altogether and just live with each other. And that way, well, yeah, it solves the problem of divorce, but it just creates a whole other problem. So, no, none of that is acceptable in the church. We saw that the institution of marriage, then, is a foundation of a stable society, but marriage is for the good of the... Husband of the wife of the children. We dealt with that a little bit in Sunday school, did we not? That sometimes we gotta be careful of putting the law, the ceremonial law, or the institution over what it was given to us for, that is, to be helpful to a person. So there are times when divorce is the preferred option, and I say that very guardedly, but to be clear about what it's saying. Divorce is is a bad thing. It's because of the fall. But sometimes divorce is better, for instance, than somebody living in an abusive relationship. And that's what we mean by that. And so this would and should be rare in the church. Leaving someone in harmful, whether in a, in, a, in a harmful situation, whether it be physical or sometimes even emotional, in a damning, damaging situation, just to say that we don't have divorces in our church, or that we elevate marriage in some way, I think is part of the problem is why we dealt with those things last week, because we will not allow abuse to go on to the church no matter in what, what fashion that is being carried out if, if we feel it's something that must be taken care of. And I think that's just the right thing to do in our day and age, is things that we cannot uh, let go. All right, let's move on. Finally, two uh, verses, uh, especially verses 17 through 24, which is about Paul laying a foundation about why he could tell somebody who gets converted and finds himself married to an unsaved spouse why it's okay to stay in that situation and don't divorce them. And then it really applies in a lot of other situations as well. And so it goes with last week's message. There is an overriding point behind all these scenarios, which is that in the end, we want to get to a place where there is peace so that everyone can get on with their lives, but always to the glory of God and to obey Him in all things. And what we're going to see today is that it is possible for um, that to take place no matter where you are, what kind of miserable circumstances you are in, we can always be content in serving Christ and and gain great reward. And there's nothing freer, more freeing than to realize that I don't have to necessarily change whatever situation I'm in right now and still serve the Lord, still find joy and contentment in Christ. And that's a very freeing, Understanding, and that's what Paul is saying here. What would have to happen? um, Excuse me. In verse seventeen, then, as we come to the next thought, we see again Paul making this point of of becoming a Christian, which will bring enough problems of its own. in, In in one sense, obviously, being a Christian you know, brings persecution, it brings suffering, it brings these things. It does not mean that we have some fundamental right or duty to turn our back on the situation that we find ourselves in. And uh, I think that leads to some very interesting and important thoughts that Paul deals with here. And so he digresses from the overall subject of marriage to emphasize being content in whatever situation you find yourself in, which you can immediately, if you think about it, see how that is very helpful in marriage or in being single. If God calls you to be single, that Paul reminds us that it's possible to be, um, content even if those things are difficult. And of course, we think about, um, what a verse that where Paul later on to Timothy, he still isn't working too well. There we go. In 1 Timothy 6 6, where he talks about contentment. Now, there is a great gain in godliness with contentment, where we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these things, we will be content. And that's covers everything obviously food and clothing And, and, and to not have food and clothing most people would think that is the time the least time where you can be content but Paul has dealt with those situations and he says no if you have Christ you have everything that's why as we'll see in a moment he says you can be a slave and yet you can be free and you can be free and you can still be enslaved. And so it's all about what you do with Christ and with truth. And uh, so we'll try to make those points today. And so, um, while this is speaking in, here in Titus, for instance, uh, excuse me, First Timothy, of money and materialism, of power, of all the things where, um, We've got to be careful to understand that that's not what brings godliness and that is not what brings contentment. Um, It applies to all people at all times. And Paul notices there's three things he says in verse 17 that we'll deal with in a second. But the very last one is this is my rule in all the churches. This is a universal truth. All of us uh, need to understand this and to apply it. So what I want us to keep in mind here is what I believe his point is in bringing this up and kind of diverging into this subject, but also to see that it does have place a part in the whole subject of marriage as well. Too many times we are so busy trying to change things and too busy complaining and being bitter that we do not serve the Lord in the meantime, and that's kind of where he's going with all this. This is a sub theme point that we made with David, remember, running from Saul. He is writing Psalms. He is serving the Lord in, while he's running for his life. So, what an excellent illustration of all this. He isn't saying that we should never try to change anything. And perhaps when we read when Jeff was reading through that, that's what you were thinking. Well, Paul just saying, look, wherever you are, when you get saved, stay there. you not need to change. Well, there's a of partial truth. Otherwise, if if what he's saying is that a Christian should never seek to change anything, just be content no matter what's going on around you, then we won't get married to start with, because we always we all found ourselves single to start with, and yet there are reasons why we will change our situation. Right? Um, you get it. You, know, you work, none of us have a job to start with, but we all eventually get a job. Sometimes we get a job and then we change jobs. And that's perfectly okay. So Paul's not saying that all change is bad. We've got to make sure that we understand what he's saying. In a moment he will say that if you are a slave, by all means, if you can gain your freedom, why wouldn't you, right? Um, So change is okay, but being discontent and change because you won't be content in Christ is a whole different issue. And so in verse 17, Paul's words are a command, he says, one that has universal application to all churches, that Christians are, as a rule, to remain in the condition in which they were called. In other words, when you became a Christian. That most certainly does not mean that a converted bank robber can stay a bank robber, right, or a prostitute can continue in that line of business. Well, of course not. So again, let's understand what he's saying here in the context. And in this context, he says your marriage might not be everything you hope for. You might find yourself married to an unbeliever. You might find yourself married to a Christian who is this not is a little difficult to live with. I'm not even going to ask if any of us have found that to be the case. But it happens, you know, and Paul's saying, look, that's okay. God has put you, that's one of the things he's going to say here in verse 17, three things. God has assigned everybody to a certain position. You have been put there you know, because he has assigned you there. He's called you to be in that situation, and this applies to all of us. And so, um, in this context, then, You might find yourself in a difficult situation, but being faithful to the Lord is far more important than always looking for something easier. And that's where he says, don't look for change, but be content, is when when in that situation. Is that here's a difficult situation. And so so, instead of applying the word of God to my life, to my situation, instead of trying to be a blessing here, trying to work through these things, I'm just going to cut and run. You see? And now you get, you get back to divorce. Most divorces are because people cut and run. Because things are difficult, I don't know how to handle that. Of course, they can you kill know, all lost people. I don't know how to handle this, so I'm just going to cut and run. and Paul into the just a minute. A Christian doesn't run from adversity because we know that God has caused, gives us adversity. That's part of our calling. Notice three times he says this down in verse 20 each one should remain in the condition in which he was called, in verse 24 in whatever condition each of you called let them remain with God so three times he says this I was talking to someone this week and perhaps others know about this but uh, Abraham Lincoln of course was married to Mary Todd and by all accounts she was a piece of work she was very difficult to live with and to the point that even in 1860s people were asking Abraham Lincoln, you know, why don't you leave her? What, what's going on? How can he put up with this? And uh, he's, you know, and Abraham Lincoln, by account, was a Christian and he said, look, living with her, it's sticking it out and not running, but trying to figure out how to pacify my wife and how to live with her. I see how the Lord has used that to help me deal with by all accounts, his generals in the Civil War who were very difficult and strong-headed, and it helped, he saw where dealing with her helped him deal with them. And so I thought, what a great example. But just because you're in a difficult situation, uh, doesn't mean you gotta cut and run. Let's go back to David for a moment. David, as a shepherd, had to fight bears and lions. He could have said, well, I'm not getting paid for this, I don't get paid enough, I'm I'm out of here. And cut and run, but the Lord is preparing David to defeat Goliath and to live in difficult circumstances, right? So again, we see the continuity of Scripture, if nothing else. So he, he makes this first point in verse 17, that God is sovereign in his appointments. Whatever place you find yourself in, God has put you there. And that is something that we sh- you should consider before you jump ship. And again, it doesn't mean that we can't change directions in our lives and make changes, but we got to consider why we're doing this. Because our place in this world is not just a matter of, well, I happen to be born here. I happen to be born in America. I happen to be born white. Or I happen to be born black. or um, You know, I, ha- I happen to be born poor. No, you didn't just happen to be anything. God made you just and put you right where he wanted you to be for a certain reason. Yes, yeah, sometimes our situation changes. But why and how they change is something we need to think about. Think about the Lord when he delivered the maniac of Gadara. And, uh, you know, the man is sitting there. He's been converted. He's been in his right mind. And the Lord gets ready to leave, and He says, Lord, I want to go with you. What, you can understand that. And Jesus says, no, I want you to go back to your your city, and I want you to tell them what happened to you. Be a testimony to them. Well, you can see, mm, I'd rather be with you, Jesus. But being called to be a disciple of Jesus didn't uh, led to some problems for the disciples, right? It admit suffering. So sometimes we think things would be better, if we got to do that, but we don't know what what would turn out, how God would deal with those things. Just be content. That man went back, and he was a blessing to those people that he God put him. And I thought that was maybe a good example for us to use. Jesus says, "Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how He had mercy to you." Perhaps we're not content because we're not doing that. We're not we're not telling people about the Jesus. We're not utilizing redeeming the time. And so we don't have any real purpose, and so we're not content. We're looking for something else because we're not being faithful where God has put us. And so Paul says the station of life has no bearing on your effectiveness in service or reward. And all that people would get hold of that today because there's so many people out there who think that if their station doesn't improve, if they don't uh, uh, get money, or some measure of respect or whatever, they can't be happy. Well, I, I know one thing about that kind of person, they don't know anything about Jesus Christ. Anybody who can't be content where they are, if if that's if God doesn't give them the opportunity to change that, uh it doesn't know Christ. Secondly, he said the first thing then is true that because God has appointed you where you are, then the situation you find yourself in when you're converted is part of that plan. Now again, as I said, if you're doing something that is immoral or illegal, then obviously that as a Christian, those things change. But just becoming a Christian doesn't mean that we have to change our identity or make some sort of public, drastic change. And, and getting back to Paul's subject, it certainly doesn't mean you, are to, you can divorce your unsafe spouse. And so, one of the great Lessons here is that Christianity works in mixed marriages, slavery, and by mixed marriages. I'm talking law say that's the only biblical mixed marriage. Everything else is kind of a you know made up. It doesn't, it's not the same. Uh, it, it works in slavery. It, it, it basically any culture, in any situation. You, you you should never assume that I cannot be an effective Christian unless something changes. That if I'm not free, or if I'm not married to a Christian, or if I'm not married to a nice person, whatever, then I just can't be happy. No. Because God has put you there. Someone said very well, bloom where you are planted. And I thought that's a great way to say, I think, what Paul is saying. And then thirdly, as I've said, it applies to all of us. So don't be so quick to change your status. Uh, There are spiritual things to consider, even when you're changing jobs, you know, any any change in your life it's always uh, bound up in what the Word of God says because you can serve effectively anywhere. John MacArthur made a great quote concerning this particular uh, situation. Christians can be Christians in a dictatorship, a democracy, or even under anarchy. We can be Christians whether we are men, women, child, married, single, divorced, Jew, Gentile, slave, or free. We can be Christians in Russia or United States, in Cuba or China, in France or Japan, whatever we are and wherever we are, we can be Christians. And that's just a great statement. I think that's really reflecting clear biblical teaching, right? And that's what I was talking to, uh, to uh, someone recently, and this happened a lot. But they were talking about how how the church in America has failed, and we talked a little bit about this at the men's meeting and. You know, we're not making a difference and all this stuff. But I said, okay, one thing you need to consider is uh, how does this work? How does what you think we should be doing work in China or North Korea? It's one thing for us to say in America where we have a lot of power and, and uh, freedom what we should be doing. But what if you live in a place where, stay and stuff like that, and then you can kill? So let's just be stand back and think about things through before, uh, you know, if you can't be... Uh, content in America being a Christian then you have to be content in China being a Christian. You've got problems that you need to work through, right? So in verses 18 through following, he uses two pertinent illustrations to show this. And, and they aren't theoretical, they are very real situations back in those days in that, in that day. And the first one probably sounds a little strange to us he uses the Jew-Gentile identity as well as, then secondly, he used slavery. And if you don't know a little bit about what was going on back then, that would be a little difficult for us to handle, There's, especially this first one when it comes to where he says if you already be circumcised, don't seek to change that. Because you are thinking, well, you did, didn't you? Well, some Jewish men who wanted to fit into the Hellenistic world, they wanted to fit into the culture not necessarily a wrong thing because the Jewish tradition was no longer something they had to do but you know whatever the motivations were it, they, they could have an operation Paul uses the term for that operation removing the marks of circumcision you could somehow and believe me I have no idea I would love to find I guess I would like to go how those works but where you would have a circum, uh, uh, a uh, operation where you didn't look like you had been circumcised. Now, my first thought is, when in the world would ever this ever matter? But you know, it, it, it did. You know, whatever. So we'll just take it at face value. Um, so Paul says, uh, no, you don't have to do that. And then if you haven't been circumcised, you don't need a certain, Seek to be circumcised because, as we, again, we've we've kind of been talking about this theme in Sunday school in the last couple of weeks. Because circumcision was not an end in itself. It pointed to something. And you are living in the reality of that. Why do you feel like you have to do this? Now, of course, again, some of this was because they didn't perhaps want to escape persecution or they wanted to fit into the culture in some way. I think primarily Paul's dealing with this idea of not being content and feeling like you've got to change one way or another. But being a Christian uh, doesn't mean that. Um, on a broader scale, he's probably referring to being a Jew or Gentile that none of that really matters anymore. In Christ, we learn there is no Jew or Gentile. It doesn't mean that there aren't obviously in the flesh Jews and Gentiles, black and white, uh, you know, and, and, and these different ethnic differences and all that, that, it's not that it doesn't exist, but once you're in the kingdom of God, none of it really matters. There might be some things you have to deal with in this life, but especially as far as uh, before Christ, before the church, none of that matters. So why are you making it an issue and not being content? Gentiles who become Christian do not have to adopt Jewish traditions and rituals, nor do Jewish Christians have to cast off their culture necessarily, traditions, just to look like the culture around them. And, and Paul has already said that if you want to keep those traditions, that's all well and good as long as you understand what they mean and what they don't mean as the being in Christ. So some Jewish traditions could be stopped. You didn't have to eat kosher anymore as long as you understood that none of that mattered. So, in verse 19, we know that from the New Testament that circumcision has nothing to do with our new relationship to Christ under the New Covenant, and so it is nothing more at that point than a tradition, not a bad tradition, from what I understand, and I'm no expert, but I want to understand that it uh, is, it continues even today for health reasons, that it's it supposedly healthy. You know, whether it is or not, I guess it's it, Whatever you know, but it doesn't really matter. But it's not necessary. We're not Jews anymore, and, and so that's a, a decision the parents make, and it's nothing more than that. Doesn't mean you have to deny being one or the other of these traditions or cultures. But it means such things have nothing to do with being saved or serving the Lord. Shouldn't be forced on anybody, and shouldn't make us content or discontent or discontent. So this certainly means it's not necessary to look different outwardly, to try and force some distinction because we're Christians. The differences should be apparent enough that we're kind of making another application. Sometimes we have the idea that now that I'm saved, I've got to look the part. I've got to do something to get people's attention so that we develop styles and looks and and traditions that aren't biblical, in our effort, to look different, to be a testimony. Now, it's not all wrong, necessarily, but the problem becomes is that you, if you are living Godly in Christ Jesus, Paul says, you will suffer persecution. And so what I'm going to say is be careful about thinking that I've got to wear a pin on my lapel or do something cross around my neck to be a testimony How about just love Christ with all of your heart, mind, body, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself, and serve him as the Bible says. Be faithful to church, faithful to the word, and they'll know real quick that you're a Christian. See, anybody can have an operation or wear a cross around their neck, purposely dress or live differently just to be different, but those don't necessarily prove anything because anybody can do that. And I've told you before about the pastor I had when I was younger, who told us that whatever the world does, we need to do the opposite. When the world goes this way, we need to go that way. And if you had just thought that through a little bit, you'd realize that that becomes ridiculous. If the world's fashion for the hemline goes down, are we to go up? <laughs> no! not everything the world does is bad not everything the culture does is bad but we've got to just think about that for a little bit instead whatever honors the Lord we, just, we do not participate in just do that and see what happens it is sometimes a strong temptation to focus much attention and cause great division over things that matter little and this usually results in ignoring things that matter a lot. And, and again, you've got to be careful here. Just think these things through. Christians are not required to change the culture, change ethnic traditions. Uh, you know, we, we've all talked about how the missionaries have often, especially from the Western world, gone in and tried to create little Western societies in their situation. And uh, there's, listen, Sometimes Western culture is like that because it was derived from the Bible, and that's all well and good. So you go to a pagan country, and you've got people who are running around naked. They, that needs to change, right? They need to put clothes on. So some things are fine, but they don't have to become like you are. They just need to start loving Christ, right, and repent of their sins and living according to the Word of God. I think all that kind of plays into what we're talking about here. The Bible never intends for us to look the same, but to be conformed to Christ. And that's seen in the way that we love him. So sometimes we, can, we will look quite similar because we're Christians. In other words, we're all here today. We're not out doing whatever the world does when they should be in church. We look similar, but in some ways we're quite different. We dress differently. We like different things and so forth. And that's all okay. And so in verse 21 then, the second um, situation, he says that even being a slave has nothing to do with whether you can serve the Lord and be blessed or rewarded. And this is an astounding statement. and something we want to think about here. Where he says um, in verse 21, were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. Now what does it mean by that? Well, it doesn't mean that it's okay to be a slave, that slavery is okay in any form, uh, that you should never seek to do anything about it. He's saying that as far as serving the Lord, as far as being content, it's neither here nor there. Because as a by definition, most slaves can't do anything about it. Right? That's what he's saying. You can't do anything about this, so serve me, love me, I will make it right. You you are not losing out you can be afraid slave to the day you die, and here you got somebody over here who has been rich and free to do whatever he wants to do all his life, in Christ, you will be much better off than that guy will ever be. Right? Don't worry about it. That's what he's saying here. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. So, he, there you see what he's not saying. He's not saying that, well, that you can't do it about it. Okay. No, we say, look, if you have opportunity to be free, duh, be free. take that opportunity. But in the meantime, understand what your duty is as a Christian. Now, we need to keep in mind that in these days, slavery took on different forms. It wasn't always what we think of. There were many professionals who lived well. So being owned by someone else wasn't always the worst thing to imagine, even though throughout most of history it probably would be, there there were some slaves who were doing quite well. And and so there's things you have to understand what's going on back in the day. But when it comes to being a Christian, surely, Paul says here, it's not the only thing that matters, whether you're slave or free. I mean, think about, I think I thought about, the first thing that went to my mind was Paul Bunyan, no, John Bunyan, who, because he preached the gospel, was in prison for 12 years, remember? And and he had had to, I think, speak to his daughter over the the fence or whatever. Well, he was, in a sense, confined. He was not allowed to do what he wanted to do, and yet, what does he do? He writes Pilgrim's Progress in all these great books. And I think that's an example of what Paul is saying here. You don't have to be free. You don't have to be able to do whatever you want to do to serve the Lord. And and he's going to make the point. Is Remember, if you're a Christian, you are a slave to Christ anyway. And if you're a slave to Christ, you really aren't, in one sense, a slave of anybody else. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. So those, again, if you don't catch this, if you are in prison, for instance suffer for Christ. How will you be content if you don't realize that my situation doesn't dictate how I serve the Lord? Jesus hung naked on the tree for the glory of the Father and for the salvation of those who hated him. Uh, Paul makes this clear also in Ephesians 6, 5, where I think he says pretty much the same thing. Bond servants, which is, again, the idea here is slaves. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So you don't obey him because you want to make him happy, although it would flash that probably is not a bad idea. You do it, though, primarily because you are a slave of Christ, because you're, you're serving Christ. Verse 7, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not the man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or free. Masters do the same to them and stop their threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. So it applies to everybody, uh, start thinking about the judgment, and the the blessings and reward of being a Christian. And so I think Paul is saying the same thing in in Ephesians 6. And so he says here in in this passage as well that we are all slaves anyway, so if the Lord calls us to something like this in this life, so be it. Um, You do it because you're willing to undergo that because there are far more important matters serving the Lord. His work is more important and you know that uh, there is great reward to follow. Paul never condemned Philemon or, or asked him to free Onesimus and that a lot of people struggle with that. But it is what it is. Perhaps it is because that while Paul might have hoped that he would have eventually freed Onesimus, uh, the bigger point is that Christianity works at all times and everything in every way for everyone. And that's the one thing that we've got to be careful because it's easy to lose sight of that, but thinking that well, here we got somebody who's in a bad situation, that all that matters is, is getting them out of that situation. Well, it might be important to do that, but all that matters is that they know Christ. And if they're serving him at the end of the day. And that's the one thing sometimes we forget. So we can't force Christianity. And our main purpose isn't to force human rights. It's to preach the gospel. It is important to see here that he says that if you can be freed of course, go for it without question. Proper human dignity treats everyone with equal dignity. And the desire to be free and to prosper is be encouraged by Christians because that is how God has made us. So we understand what is the pursuit that we should be pursuing for but in the meantime, when, when those things don't work out can we still serve the Lord and be effective. Proper Christianity has always benefited all people's plight and put dignity on all human rights. And that's just a given. And so in verse 23, you are bought with the price. So you see, Paul says, that you're not thinking straight if you can't be content in the situation because you're a slave already to Christ. Because we are saved, our first allegiance, our first concern is serving our real master. And that then frees us from being a slave to man. Not in a physical sense. It doesn't mean we, we won't, we aren't in some ways in bondage to earthly authorities in, in a lot of different ways. But Christ takes precedence over them and ultimately any mistreatment you might endure will be taken care of because we are free in Christ. Therefore, whatever this person does to me in an unfair way is okay because look, you can only, as Luther said, you can only harm the body. You can only find me and treat me badly for a while someday I will stand in glory and that's what allows someone to deal with those things it's interesting also that in Paul's day a slave could work extra jobs and save up money to buy his freedom in, in some cases and he would take the money to a local temple he would give it to the priest, and the priest would pay the master Then the former slave would be considered to be a slave of whatever particular deity of that temple. Uh, Isn't that interesting? Because Paul has just told us that we have been bought with a price. We have been redeemed from one, made a slave to another, and now we are to serve him. So it's interesting how that illustrates that. The transforming work of the Holy Spirit does not make us discontented revolutionaries. It doesn't mean that every revolution is wrong. It doesn't mean that some things we should be discontented over when we see things that are wrong. But if Christians realize that there are other things sometimes more important, we have not been called necessarily to buck the system just because it isn't overtly Christian. So going back to verse 15, we have been called to live quiet and peaceful lives as much as possible. In Christ we have been remade, so the earthly status is in one sense irrelevant. It doesn't mean that we can't encourage change, but it isn't necessary for the gospel to work. And that, of course, is the issue. And so in this building, among this people, social status and these uh, different things should mean nothing. Some of us are free men, but so enslaved to our circumstances, or our past, or our passions, that we can't function properly in, in this world anyway. There's a whole lot of different ways to be a slave, right? Than just physically being owned by somebody. And we need to now think again, this is what Paul is saying, that you, a Christian has been freed from those passions so that we can now serve the Lord. So let us learn to be free in Christ. To live as he lived, not like the world lives, being outwardly free and able to do as we please, doesn't mean that we are free in any real sense. We can be content and godly no matter what situation we find ourselves in. So, one final point to make and will be done. It is here that the health and wealth charlatans lead many astray today. They do not teach or encourage men to accept their circumstances and to joyfully serve God in them. They assure men that God doesn't want them, or any of his children, to experience pain and sorrow, lack anything they desire. And they tell us that if all we uh, have, uh, if we have sufficient faith, and if we employ the right techniques that God is obliged to give us what we want and to remove us from the difficulty and uh, and adversity. Well, I don't see that in what Paul says anyway. I would say that they are wrong. I would say they are dead wrong. The things which they promise here and now are most often things God has promised to us then and there. Let me repeat that things which they promise us here and now are most often things God has promised us then and there in his kingdom. In the light of the weight of the glory which is to be revealed, Paul says, the trials and tribulations of this life seem inconsequential, which is why even a slave is in one sense free. He's free in his soul. He's free in his heart, in his mind. He's free because he knows that even being a slave and doing his chores is uh, for the glory of God is bringing eternal reward. And if there's anything more very freeing, it's that. That even if you're in a wheelchair, even if you're on your deathbed, you have the opportunity to glorify God and to gain reward. And what I mean, what can be more free than that? And I think that's kinda what Paul is getting at in this passage. Alright, we'll stop there today. Any questions or comments? We've gotten some to think about through the week and uh, again there's just very few books. I don't think they're any more practical than the first Corinthians, but thank you to dismiss.